Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's get started this morning. I'm going to look at Galatians chapter 6. We'll just take a few moments here this morning. Galatians chapter 6. How many like to be encouraged? Me too. How many have ever dealt with discouragement? About four of us. Man, the rest of us need some lessons from you. You know, discouragement, it can come in all different forms and all different ways, can it? And I found that in this walk of life, you know, I've, I've faced discouragement in areas, whether it's maybe career or work, uh, family, uh, even my marriage being discouraged sometimes, wishing like, why can't I change it about myself? You know, because how many, let me put a clue on this. A lot of times in marriages, we think the other person needs to change, but really you can only work on yourself, Right. And I'm not even like the marriage guy here, but I'm just telling you, I've learned a lot of times that I can't change my wife. And many times when I've changed myself and she's changed herself, we found, wow, the relationship can get better. But is it perfect? Nope. We still have growth. We still have issues. You know, if, if, if perfection meant that we could be leaders at the church, then we wouldn't even have this thing going right now, right? But, but my point is that, you know, we all are discouraged in life at some point in some time. And sometimes we even feel discouraged, like, God, where are you in this situation? I'm looking for an answer. Sometimes maybe the answer isn't what we're expecting. And so we're looking for another answer. But I just want to encourage us today because all of us deal with discouragement. But look what Apostle Paul says here in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 9 and 10. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good. You ever been doing good, doing something that goes against the grain of, you know, the culture, this world, society, and it just seems like it's just not going well, and so you're discouraged, you're like, what is, what is the sense? Why am I even doing this? Why would I even continue doing this? He says, do not lose heart in doing good. Look at this, for in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. See, sometimes we just grow weary in this. I don't think he's putting us down saying, listen, if you do, then you're in sin. I think what he's saying is, don't grow weary because there's a greater purpose on the other side. He says this, so then, while we have opportunity. Now, I love the way he words this because he's saying, listen, we have opportunities to go either way. He says, so while we have opportunity, let us what? Do good to who? All people. And then he says, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, if you can't even get this right with your family, how can you impact all people or the world around you? But do you see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, no matter what comes your way, I mean, discouragement will happen. Jesus guaranteed that trouble would come. Thanks, Jesus. Hallelujah. I receive it. Right? He says, it's guaranteed trouble will come. Things are going to come your way. Now, I want us to realize something, though. When Paul is writing this, he's not writing to me and to you. I don't know if Paul even believed this was scripture. He was writing to a church in Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians. And so in this time, he's dealing with these Gentiles who have come to Christ, who began to follow Jesus through the preaching of Paul. They started to establish these churches, and they were going through some turmoil. What happened is Paul came and said, this is the gospel. This is the grace of God. And then Judaizers came in and said, yeah, but you you need to be circumcised. There's some things you need to follow according to the Jewish tradition and law. And Paul, this was really a fiery letter. And he was in the context. I want us to get this. He's saying, listen, even though you're doing good, others are going to come in and say you're not because you're not doing good enough. Does that make sense? So I want us to see the context, but then what can we take from this? Because even though this wasn't written to me, it was written for me. I was talking to uh, Chuck Siglow yesterday, 
I said, imagine if I wrote a letter to, or if I found a letter that was written to Chuck Siglow 2,000 years ago. And it was saying all these things in context. He's reading this letter to him at the time, 2,000 years ago. Now, if somehow through archaeology and you know, discovery, I found this letter and I read it, would it be kind of silly for me to go, oh my gosh, this letter was written exactly to me here and now? No, it was written to Chuck. But as I'm reading this letter, I could go, ooh, that's a good point. Oh, that's a great point. Ooh, this is really good too. Now, it's important that we see this. Because the Bible was written, why? So we could be, it was inspired and written so we could see what God was like. But we also are seeing people in different phases and frames and, and parts of journey in their life as they write this. And it makes it so beautiful to me when I see the context that these people weren't just like, I had a bad day on the job. I mean, these people were deciding to follow Jesus, and this was leading to two things. The religious system of the day was saying, no, you're wrong, and persecuting them. And then the Roman government system, the empire, was also persecuting them, feeding them to lions, crucifying them. Can you see what they're going through? So sometimes, you know, for me, I'm like, wow, like, compared to what they were going through. Now, we don't, you know, we don't make little of what we're going through in life. But I want us to see the context. But even in this, he's saying, do not lose heart in doing good. I want to encourage you this morning, do not lose heart in doing good. If you're doing the right thing, sometimes it goes against the grain, right? It goes against the grain of of politics, you know, those political lines. I mean, come on, 2020, we already see it, right? I don't because I'm staying off social media. But we already see all this stuff. We, we, see, we see people going against the grain of theology. Well, you know, we were talking about this yesterday. Sometimes you, you get this inclination in your spirit about something different than what you've maybe known or you've heard for 20 years, and you start to step that direction. And what happens? Sometimes there's opposition. Sometimes people are like, whoa, where, where are you going with this thing? I remember when we stepped into grace like 10 years ago, and people were like, whoa, what's going on? You're going off the rails, dude. What, what's going on? God can't be that good. But now it's like he's so good, I just keep discovering new stuff and discovering new things, and it's like this is awesome. And guess what? Never once did I pull off the center focus of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But there's such freedom moving outside of those boxes. But let me tell you something. Sometimes there will be opposition when you say something that's different than what someone else believes. It just happens. And so Paul encourages them. He says, while you have opportunity, this is awesome. No matter who's coming against you, what the opposition is, he says, let us do good to all people. Not just some. Not just to those who go to church with you, those who believe the same as you, he says to all people. And he does say especially to those who are the household of faith. Again, if you can't treat your family right, if you can't even do good to those around you who believe like you, who are part of the family, how can you do anything that impacts the world? Let us not grow weary or lose heart. I think now's the time that we can dig into this relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. We can spend time with Holy Spirit. We can prepare ourselves to help others. Now, in this letter, you know, Paul's not mincing words. He says things like, bear one another's burdens. You know, he says, if you bear one another's, one another's burdens, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. In other words, the law of love. Look at this in the mirror translation. I love this. He says, every good deed has a predictable harvest. Let's not get discouraged in the in-between times. How many have been in between before? Look at this. Make sure your good deeds, this is key, 
are love-driven rather than duty-driven. Faith works by love, duty by willpower. See, sometimes what happens is we, we're pushing through and we're doing what we know to do, but we're doing it out of a sense of obligation, not inspiration. We're doing it out of a sense of duty, not love. And so we're encouraged here to make sure we're doing things out of love. Faith works by love. Look at verse 10. Let us take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to everyone we meet without neglecting our fellow faith family. So if Paul is saying to not be discouraged, to not lose heart, to not grow weary, which is like, come on, Paul, seriously, then there must be a way to live this out. I don't think Paul would write it unless he himself, do you know what the apostle Paul went through? This guy was imprisoned. He was beaten. I mean, I mean, he was ridiculed. He was persecuted. He would go into a church, start, begin a church in an area, preach the gospel, the freedom, the grace of God, and then people come in and say, nope, that's not exactly right, and they try to change it. I mean, just thing after thing after thing, and he gave his entire life to the cause of Christ. And he says, do not be discouraged. Do not lose heart. Do not grow weary. I think there's a way that we can live this out. There's a fuel, I believe, that keeps us from losing heart and keeps us from growing weary. It's one word. Say it with me. Friendship. Say it with me. Friendship. Now, having good friends is important, right? And I've done complete teachings on levels of friendship and the importance. How, how many know that we can be friendly to everybody? That's, that's what Paul is saying. Even if someone's not of our tribe, they're not of our political party, they're, they're not of our thought patterns and ideas and our, our paradigm, right? We still can be friendly, right? We can receive them in as a friend, but there's different levels. But I'm talking more specifically about friendship with Father, which to some of us here, we're like, yeah, that makes sense. But for others, it may be friendship with God. That seems, I mean, isn't God this distant deity who's far away, has nothing to do with my life? No. He actually lives in you. In him we live, move, and have our being. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I mean, you have to awaken to this, right, in order to see this. But the truth is, God isn't far and he's not away. Even in the Old Covenant, we've covered this before, but even in the book of Leviticus, when they're laying down the sacrificial system, different than any other sacrificial system of any other culture around Israel at the time, God was very specific that when you bring the offering, in Hebrew, what he's saying is, when you draw near to me. In this culture, no one felt comfortable drawing near to the deities of the day. But this God was changing everything. He was flipping the script. He was saying, no, I want you to draw near to me. And guess what? Those sacrifices you make, uh, they're not just for me. They're for you. They would literally burn them on the altar, and then God required that they eat it. That they have a meal with the sacrifice. Why? So they could see that this God wanted you to draw near, have a meal, commune. It's called covenant. So this isn't just a New Testament thing. I believe that Jesus came to show us how God had always desired to have relationship with us as human beings. It never changed. But somehow through Jesus, we saw this, this complete fulfillment of it in the heart of Father, which was I desire friendship with you. You see that? Believe it or not, friendship or relationship, it gives us a sense of purpose. I know for me in my life, I mean, for years I felt like I didn't measure up. I mean, when I was 19, I moved out of the house and, uh, you know, my dad was a preacher. He started this church and, you know, 
I knew the right things to say. I knew the right things to do, but I didn't feel that. I just didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel like it me- measured up. I mean, we talked about it, I believe, last week that, you know, it was a, it was a daily trying to figure out if I was okay and good enough and confessing every sin and, oh my gosh, I hope I'm okay. And if Jesus came back tonight, I hope I'm not left behind. And it was like, I mean, it was fear. It was worry. I didn't feel like I could measure up. And I'm not the type of person who likes to fake it. So I just stopped going. I'm like, why go to church? I can't measure up anyway. I'm not going to try to meet someone, someone else's standards. Now, did I give up on relationship with God? No, I talked to God quite often. But I just felt like, is he listening? Because I don't measure up. The idea of friendship, maybe with Jesus, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. Come on. <laughs> Got to do the double clap, right? <laughs> but, you know, Jesus is cool and he's okay with me. But, man, the Father, I mean, you never know. Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father to us. When you see Jesus in the Gospels, just communing and and eating and being with everyone, sharing love and grace and goodness, that is the heart of Father. God in flesh, the incarnation. God is the same way. Jesus was full display. God, this is what God is like. And I love you so much that I'll even let you put me on a wooden cross and kill me because you don't like what I have to say. Why? Because that's what love does. Love gives and gives. It's sacrificial. And Jesus was full display, full on God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, bringing us into favor with him, bringing us into this state of mind where we're like, I literally can be a son and daughter. I literally can be a friend of God. Unheard of in the ancient world, right? So it's not just friendship with Jesus. If you're a friend of Jesus, you're a friend of God, right? Three in one. It's the Trinity. You know, in my own life, I've experienced this. This whole idea of doing good and then feeling like I'm going against the grain. And sometimes even in my own head, the the indoctrination, the things. How many know indoctrination is not just a Christian term? You know, doctors go to school and they become indoctrinated. You ever gone to a a doctor and they gave you a report? You thought, I'm going to go get a second opinion. Why? Another doctor might have a little different indoctrination. Right? So it's not, it's not a bad term, it's just what you've been fed for years and years and what you believe. Listen, this mind is really powerful. Right? Again, get on social media, you'll completely see. I mean, I mean, we've been in conversations as a family, and you know, one person's like, no, I did it this way, no, you did it that, I saw, no, I saw, and it's like, we both were there, and we both saw it different. How is this even possible, right? So to have conflict is natural, it happens. But, you know, there's been times in my life where I've felt like I need to go a certain direction in life. And I felt in my heart it was the right thing to do. But, but maybe in my head I was second-guessing myself. Or there were people around me who weren't on board with me. You ever been there? Maybe they had different opinions of, of what I should do or even what I should believe. And so you go that different route. It goes against the grain. But Paul is telling us something. You say, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart in doing good. If you know in your heart of hearts this is right, Holy Spirit is speaking to you, then continue the course. Now, I encourage you, surround yourself with friends who, you know, the same tribe, the same ideas. Not that you want to get locked in the box again, but people who are open and free to say, wow, Holy Spirit, what is life all about? What does this mean? I was talking to Chuck Siglo, a.k.a. Chick Siglo. Siglo. Now it's Seglo. I don't even know how to talk this morning. But I was talking to him yesterday about how we get afraid to even ask questions. 
You know, there was a time where I remember the church was in this place where there was this phrase, don't you question the man of God? I mean, I have a question. No, you don't question the man of God, right? But why not? I mean, it's one thing to be disrespectful. I mean, one of my greatest challengers in the world, Bruce Heist, I love it when he comes up to me because I'm thinking, what's he going to challenge me on today? But it's, but it's always good. He, he, he helps challenge me. And sometimes I'll see, wow, I didn't see it like that. He'll go, okay, okay, pastor. I mean, it takes a minute, but you know, I'm a little you know, young into him. But he'll, he'll listen. He actually listens. And there's this respectful relationship. But I love that people ask me questions. Don't ever feel like you can't ask me a question. Like, what did you mean by that? Where are you pulling that from? And I'll show you in scripture how, how I'm interpreting things. But maybe you have a different way. The thing is, even God, all through scripture, has people questioning him all the time. In Jewish tradition, the rabbis and the, and the people would question each other all the time. Why? Because how do you grow in life if there's no questions asked? How do you grow in life if there's no challenge made to what you believe? So challenging what you believe isn't the issue. Now, yes, there are some people, bless you, there are some people who are very disrespectful and they just want you to jump onto their train or jump into their box. And if you don't, they'll defriend you on Facebook and they won't speak to you and they'll call you a heretic. That's ridiculous. But I'm talking about people who are like, huh, you're kind of, you're challenging my ideas here. So let's talk this through. So there's no such thing to me as a bad question. It just might be a bad attitude that's mixed in with the question. So we just have to see that. But, you know, there's been these key points in my life where I had to choose to stick to these decisions, even if people didn't agree with me, right? And again, this is where having friends that come along and say, listen, I believe in you. This is a great direction, man. I, I Keep it up. Uh, you're on point. I can see this. How many know encouragement's awesome? You know, for me, in different phases of my life, you know, I've needed support. And all of us need support. It's great to have a support group. You know, if you're doing a big changeover in anything, if it's diet or exercise or a career or different, just different avenues of life, isn't it great to have a support team that says, hey, I believe in you. This is a great decision. You're doing good. Because guess what? You're going to have plenty of naysayers in life. And so what Paul's saying is he's saying, listen. Don't stop doing the right or the good thing just because you're coming up against opposition. Keep on keeping on. Even though you're feeling discouragement, you can get through that. How? Through friendship, not just with friends around you, but friendship with God. I just think, I mean, that just still blows my mind that this divine creator of the universe wants to have friendship with me. But I even think about, and I've heard the sayings, you know, I'm your parent, not your friend. I get that. But let's be honest, I love being friends with my kids too. There's times where, listen, I'm the parent, and as they grow older, I mean, we have our older, our older kids come over, and sometimes they forget we're not the same age as them. I mean, I am so immature, but I mean, but no, but seriously, no, but seriously, we'll, we'll sit around the table and we're just cutting up and having so much fun and there's these different phases and it's so great to be out of the discipline phase now that they have their own kids and they're growing up, but it's like there's, Friendship is awesome. I never, ever want to lose friendship with my sons and my daughter. Never. Daughters, because I have an awesome daughter in love. And there she is on the front row, just cheering me on. Everyone needs a cheerleader. But we do, right? We need people that will encourage us even when we feel like, am I doing the right thing? If you feel like you're facing discouragement, 
Look around you. What type of relationships do you have in your life? And first and foremost, where is that relationship with God? Because it's, it's not about a Sunday morning, you better have time, you better get in your prayer closet, you better... You know, do you know that prayer closet, that term, doesn't mean an actual closet? Do you know that, that rabbis, a lot of times when they would do this, that was their prayer closet. It was a symbol of, I'm spending time with God right now, shutting out the world around them. It's, it's not like you have to create a... How many has any closet space in their house? Let's be honest. I mean, it would be an hour getting into the closet, fumbling around. What are you doing? I'm getting with God, man. God's behind all that trash. And the, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know... I don't have a lot of closet space. I don't have a lot of storage space anyway. What is the prayer closet? It's just saying, God, I need to get away with you. I need to spend time with you. So it's not about legalism that you have to do this. But listen, you need to do this. This is the source of your life, right? Father, pater in the Greek means source, origin. It's where you come from. It's, it's where the very essence of life comes from. We need to find those quiet spaces. I, I've been telling myself a lot lately that I need to do a lot more just alone time, even if it's 10 minutes, and meditation time. And I know when you hear that, we freak out because we think we've got to grab a crystal and hum. But, but God speaks on meditation. And we all meditate on something, but how often do you, just think about this, don't, don't raise your hand, but how often do you actually get away for five or 10 or 15 minutes with silence and just sit there in the presence of God and say, Holy Spirit, I'm here. I don't do it enough. But I think that's how we can realign sometimes for what his purpose is for our life, understanding who we truly are. There's so many people that want to speak into your life, and it's constant, whether it's through movies, TV, music, coworkers, mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters. Are you, are you having an anxiety attack right now? Like so much coming out of social media, sometimes you shut it all down and find a quiet space and say, Holy Spirit, I don't even need to speak. I just want to feel your presence because I know you're there but I need answers in this area. I'm, I'm growing weary. I'm growing discouraged. I know I'm doing what's right. I know I'm going the right direction. I know that I know that I know, but I'm feeling discouraged right now, and I feel like the only one going through this. Guess what? You're not. But see, it's in those quiet places and those quiet spaces of meditation on him where we just listen, and we say, I need peace right now. And listen, it's already in you. Sometimes we have to find it. Sometimes we can lose it in the midst of everything going on around us. But I love what Jesus said in John 15, 15, speaking on relationship. He says, I, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Now think about this. Again, context, time frame. Where was Jesus? First century Judaism, right? Over 2,000 years ago, he's speaking these words. All the people he was speaking to, the Jewish people, Israel, all they knew was servanthood. I mean, at this time, they were being occupied by the Roman Empire, right? They were being taxed so heavily that the poorest among them were starving. That's why when Jesus provides for the 5,000, don't you think they were like, woo, we're eating tonight, baby. People didn't just follow Jesus because of the miracles or because of his great words. Some were literally starving and like, maybe he'll like summon up another meal for us or something. The Romans actually would use bread 
as a form of getting people on their side. They would come into a place and say, hey, we'll we'll give you some bread, but we're going to rule you. They would manipulate and control with it. What did Jesus do? Gave it freely. Jesus was always going against what the empire of the day was saying. He was always going against the establishment and saying, no, no, no. This is to be freely given. Jesus was just amazing. But he says, I no longer call you servants. That's all they knew. They came out of Egypt. They were slaves. They were servants. Uh, they had a life of servitude. They were you know, being occupied at the time. This was the life of Israel. It was not a good life. And he's saying, listen, even in the law system, it could feel as if God wants you to be a servant. He says, but a servant does not know his master's business. Look at this. Instead, say instead. This is huge. I have called you friends. God in flesh was looking at these people who thought so low of themselves that they couldn't see past servanthood. And he says, I call you friends. This was huge. Look at this. For everything, say everything, that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. No secrets. You're on the same level as me. It's called sonship. Isn't that powerful? See, approaching Father on the basis of who he has made you to be, drawing near to him, you know, speaking to him, listening to him in faith about what he thinks about you is the way to invigorated life and purpose. If you want to come out of that, that, that feeling of being weary and losing heart, if you want to come out of that feeling of discouragement, what do you do? You awaken to this relationship. It invigorates your life. It brings a sense of purpose. It's also the way to recognize, I want you to hear this, just how much he seeks you out. I heard in years at church, are you seeking the Lord? Are you seeking the Lord? But the truth is, he seeks you out. He's not going anywhere. He's not going to leave you. He made a promise. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. But why would God seek you out? Why would he do this? To spend a few moments, to share life with you, to drive out fear, to remove anxiety and worry by telling you the truth, to provide joy and love and peace. Guess what? He's really good at being your friend because he actually made you his friend. He says, I call you friends. Jesus said this, meaning God said this. That's why when Paul says we were enemies of God in our minds, Jesus is like, "Uh uh-uh, never been. Always friends. I call you friends. Not servants, but friends. Do we serve? Yes, but you're not servants. You're sons and your daughters. You're friends. Do you see the difference? Just a little tweak in the mind changes everything, doesn't it? The Apostle James tells us, even in the Old Covenant, that Abraham, this was actually before the Old Covenant, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Even in the Old Testament, God would call us his friends. So what is a friend? Well, this word friend in the Greek, the word philos means dear to God. How many want to be dear to God? You are. Jesus called you his friend. It means peculiarly, meaning more than usually, favored with his intimacy. There's that favor again. You've been favored. What I want us to walk away today is with this idea that God literally wants to have friendship and relationship with us. He wants you to feel as if you are a son and daughter because you really are a son and daughter. But some of us just don't believe it. So what happens? We don't walk in it. Now, sometimes the word friend, it's kind of thrown around flippantly like the word love, right? 
But think about this. When you think of friends, what do you think of? Friends like each other? That's a good start, right? Uh, Friends share secrets. Friends laugh together. Friends make plans together. Friends rely upon each other through thick and thin. Friends are actually involved in each other's lives. How can you be a friend unless you're involved in someone's life? They are there for each other. Now what happens is sometimes we mix up this idea of serving God with being a servant or slave of God. And guess what? Religion has sold us this crazy bill of goods. It sold us on the idea that if I slave away for God, I'll somehow garner more love or more presence or more blessing. But there's nothing further from the truth. He's already given you everything for life and godliness. It's already given freely. Why? That's what love does. It's unconditional. But if we don't believe it, we won't receive it. The word receive, translated from the Greek in the English receive, actually could be translated take. So it's like God gives you everything and says, it's there for the taking. Take it. And when you do, he's not offended. Because that's what faith does. I trust and I'm taking everything that you've given to me. Now, does that mean every single day I'm taking what I should? No. There's days where I I lose focus and I forget who I am. How about you? But see, it never goes anywhere. It's always there. So again, sometimes we mix this up and religion has this way. Serving God is a high calling, but friendship with God is the fuel. Yet if we can be sold on the idea that service is the highest compliment to God and not love shared or this friendship that's enjoyed, then it can soon make us weary. How many felt weary? And then it prevents us from discovering the full stature of our identity. How do you know it's all about identity? It's all about who we are and understanding that we have friendship. We're sons, we're daughters of God. In all our efforts at service and discipleship, the best ingredient is friendship with our Father. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever got tired of serving and serving and serving? What ended your fatigue Sometimes it's when we just stop. Remember I just talked about getting away into that quiet space and and saying, why am I doing this? Because see, when things are fueled out of obligation, you're going to grow tired and weary. When they're fueled out of love, you're doing it just because you don't know of any other way to do it in life. And that's why understanding this friendship is so very important. I I was going over this last night and this just came to mind. I had to write this down. Listen to this. We've turned service to God into a job instead of a joy. So which J are you choosing? Is it a job that I'm doing for God? I'm working hard for God? Or is it a joy? Because there's no greater thing that I could think of to do than to serve others just like Jesus. Now again, is service to God a bad thing? Absolutely not. But listen, our service isn't as worker bees, but as friends, as sons and daughters. And when we awaken to this, guess what? It does become easier and you'll see less and less discouragement in life. But even when you're discouraged, go talk to your friend and tell him I'm discouraged. You know, it's not lack of faith to say, wow, um, I'm not sure about this situation right now. You know, the opposite of faith is certainty. The opposite of faith is certainty. Sometimes I'm not certain on everything, and I'm beginning to be comfortable with that because that means I'm walking in faith. I don't know every step. I don't know every next step to take, but faith is saying, I trust you because you're not just my father. You're my friend. This is making sense. Now, I'm not downplaying service to God. In fact, I think that I'm upplaying service to God, if that's even a word. I'm not saying stop doing stuff. 
right? There's things to do in the kingdom, but what is your fuel? What is your motivation for doing that stuff? In fact, let me ask you this question. How do we serve God? Anyone? How do we serve God? By serving others. What did Jesus say? He says, listen, if you give a drink to the thirsty, if you give food to the hungry, if you clothe the naked, he says, you're, just, you're doing it to me. So how do we serve God? We serve others. I mean, it's the simplest thing, yet it isn't. Sometimes we believe serving God is, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to read my Bible, not bad things. I'm going to get in my prayer closet. I don't know if you can get in the closet. But there's all these things we, need, we think I need to do for God. When Jesus said, in order to serve God, serve others. This is huge. And to me, it makes it easier in life because you're just looking for opportunities. What can I do to better the life of those around me? And when you do that, in doing so, you're literally serving God. I love this quote by Ralph Harris. He says, If service to God has become a grinding drudgery, the antidote is not more service or less. It's a renewal of friendship with God. Isn't that awesome? Let me say it again. If service to God has become a grinding drudgery, the antidote is not more service or less. It's a renewal of friendship with God. Because the truth is when we fail, when we break down, it's not a failure of service or a proper discipleship. It's a failure of love and grace. We're forgetting the fuel for our life. It's friendship with God. We must see that God's love and grace are at all times lavished upon us because of our sonship and our friendship through Christ. Look at this. Two more scriptures. First John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And look at this. And that is what we are. That word lavished in the Greek means generous, extravagant, and luxurious. Look what Paul says in Ephesians. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Say, I'm forgiven. In accordance with the riches of God's grace, look at this, verse 8, that he lavished on us. Say, I've been lavished. Isn't that beautiful? This is what it's all about. So listen, we don't have to be afraid of God. We don't have to avoid God. In fact, we should be pursuing our Father, or we could say our source, who has lavished on us his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. And he does us freely because he loves you. He wants friendship with you. He wants you to awaken to your sonship. Bottom line. And what happens when we begin to receive or even take that forgiveness and that love and that grace? We begin to lavish others with forgiveness and love and grace. Isn't that awesome? We love because he first loved us. I think we could say we forgive because he first forgave us. We share grace because he first graced us. That's why it's important to understand friendship. Say this with me. Do not be discouraged. (laughs) Open up to friendship with God. You receive that this morning? Let me pray with you. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.